Hey everybody, welcome back to another Different Church Podcast. Today we are jumping into Revelation chapter 6. I'm super excited to have one of my favorite people with me. Hannah, what's up? Hi guys. How's it going? It's going super awesome because we're talking about Revelation. (laughs) It's today, we're recording this on a Friday. It's the end of the week and we might as well discuss the end of the world at the end of the week. (laughs) <laughs> Ooh, is this the part where I get to sing? It's the end of the world and we know it. I feel fine. We got to do that like every episode at some point, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's what the fans want. We it, have to yeah. give them what they want. We've had literally ones of posts on social media about that song. I think it was Mike. So Mike, that was for you. <laughs> cool. You ready to jump in? Yep, so we are going to jump into Revelation chapter 6. This is split into two sections. So the first section is verses 1 through 8, which is pretty intense. So I am going to have Jarrett read the first section. I'm ready. I've been practicing. (laughs) As I watched the... No, I'm kidding. As I... No, I'm kidding again. (laughs) All right, here we go. As I watched, the lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. Then I heard one of the four living beings say with a voice like thunder, Come! I looked up and saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow, and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. When the lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, Come! Then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. When the lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being say, Come! I looked up and saw a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings say, A loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay, and don't waste the olive oil and wine. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being say, Come! I looked up and saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death, and his companion was the grave. These two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. (laughs) Such a comforting passage. (laughs) Wow, I have no clue how you're going to make sense out of any of that. This is, I know, I feel like we say this in every chapter, but I feel like this is where the imagery in Revelation really starts taking off. Yeah. Like before it was manageable, but now we're talking about horses and people dying and the grave and it's just, it's really crazy stuff. Yeah. The only and thing. I will explain. Okay, good. I was going to say the only thing I really have to go on right now is that, um, how's that Amazon show that just was out maybe like a year ago? And uh, it was based on a book, and I can't remember the title of the book or the show, but you know what I'm talking about oh, with the two angels. Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah, the finale. I can't think of the name of it either. That was such a good show. Yeah, what's it called? Oh, my gosh. I hate myself. What's it, it had um, the guy who played Doctor Who for a while in it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the guy from Masters of Sex. <laughs> Sorry, I just felt I like I had to one. say it like that. I don't know. Uh, what was the name <laughs> of that show? It was, so, it was based on an old book. Oh, well, I've totally derailed this podcast like four times and we haven't even started. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's totally fine. If yep. you know the answer and you're listening and you know what show we're talking about, um, hit us up on social media. Yeah, Diff Church. Or, or maybe we can find out what the name of that show is and then title the podcast. <laughs> that's the name good, of that show. Yeah, that's a great. That's what we should probably do. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> these four horses—they're pretty crazy. But before we talk about the four horses, I think we should just kind of address this generally, um, in maybe a different kind of metaphor. So maybe one that's a little easier for us to understand. So if you go to the doctor and you're reporting your symptoms to the doctor. I mean, a doctor would know that your symptoms are not necessarily the problem that you have, or they may not be the only problem that you have. Like if you finally go to the doctor for something that's bothering you, (laughs) men, um, (laughs) then (laughs) that may be indicative of a much bigger and deeper problem, right? Yes. Like, you could go to a doctor for a headache, and the doctor's like, oh, well, you finally came to us six years later for your headache, and it turns out you have a brain tumor. My my wife actually had something like that happen, and she had ulcers. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, she she had, like, a really bad headache, and she was like, I can't remember if she was pale or jaundiced, one of those. And she was like, yeah, I don't know. I've got the flu or something. And they went in, and they were like, oh, no, uh, you're not leaving the hospital for quite some time. You have holes in your stomach lining. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Calm down. Exactly. So it, it's actually kind of like a smack in the face almost because like you finally get up the courage to go to the doctor, right? And you're like, you're finally going to admit that you have a problem. And all you <laughs> want is for the doctor to like give you a pill or do something and fix it and make it go away. But the doctor has to just disappoint you. Because they have to get to the root of the problem so that there can be an actual cure. It would be like going to the doctor with like a super huge infection and just slapping them slapping a Band-Aid on it. Like they have to get to the root of the problem. Yeah. Um, have you, I know you've seen this and it's highly upsetting to me and I even hesitate to bring it up, but the YouTube channel, Dr. Pimple Popper. Oh gosh. Uh, I, I mean, I am aware of its existence. And I don't I've never watched it on purpose, but maybe maybe someone's like shown me a clip and I accidentally saw some of it. It is truly like one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen. I have not watched it by choice either. Um, It's basically the pimple is a small word, but it's like a doctor who films going into these cysts and abscesses and things. And you would think you pop it and then like a little bit comes out and it's done. And then she goes in there with like tweezers and like scopes and stuff and pulls out the most disgusting things you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> like I don't know how people watch it without hurling <laughs> their stomach contents up. It is so disgusting. But every time she keeps being like, nope, there's still more in there. Nope, there's still more in there. We can't have actual healing unless this all comes out. This is the root of the situation that we have in chapter six. So unless we lay out all of the problems in the world and understand them to their full extent, nothing, no real healing can actually take place unless their true colors are put on display and they're actually doing their worst, then they can't be overthrown. So 
this is the answer to a problem because a lot of, I mean, we just came off of chapter five. We're in God's throne room. Jesus has won this great victory. He's the person who is worthy to open the scroll. We're so excited. And so like we think, I mean, all we have to do is turn the page and we're just going to hear tales of victory and glory and everything will be peachy. And then we turn the page and we're like, oh, death and destruction and everyone is starving and <laughs> it's all horrible. <laughs> Everyone's pale green. Yeah. So things have to be exposed before they can be dealt with. And I think revelation itself is like a cosmic, on a cosmic level, a version of the struggle for an actually hurt person or a, a wounded soul, right? It's because the the soul of the world, if we think of the world as having a soul, we're aware of like immediate problems. We're like, yeah, there's some war. There's some people starving. There's some pain. There's some despair. There's some death. But, you know, like we we still have some good stuff, right? Yeah. But we don't look any deeper. Like we just pull a little bit out. We're like, all right, we'll fight that one war and then it's going to stop and then we're going to have peace. But we are not looking deeper to the patterns of oppression and conquest and violence and death itself. And because we're not looking to those ancient patterns that have been with us since the beginning, we are just patching ourselves together for another couple of years. We're not actually dealing with the problem or fixing anything. <clears throat> Sounds like how I handle my car. <laughs> I, you know, I have been in your car and I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. You know, I fixed this one thing. It'll be fine. Yeah, the, the door handle broke off and the air doesn't work. And <laughs> every time I turn the car on, the radio blasts your eardrums out. But it's fine. <laughs> Man, now people are going to think I just have a trash car. Well, people can think that because I also have a trash car. It sounds like an airplane and it is literally the worst piece of crap ever. But it's paid off, so I keep it. Yeah, yeah, yeah mine too. Exactly. I just I bought mine with cash. <laughs> and that's what you get whenever you buy a cheap car with cash. Yep. Well, actually, I financed mine because I was poor, but <laughs> ah, yeah, I financed my piece of crap car, which I still can't believe is running. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> so we're patching ourselves together for a few more years. That's what the world is doing. So then yeah. when the lamb opens the scroll, the four seals, instead of these four glorious antibiotic pills for the world's sickness... What we find is four horses and four riders that make matters much worse. Um, and basically what's happening is these four horses, when the, when the seals are opened, they are allowed to do their worst. And they have to do their worst before the actual answer to the world's problems can be read from the scroll. Notice we're not reading from the scroll yet. These are just the seals on the scroll. We haven't even unrolled it or anything. <laughs> so what do they symbolize? Um, there's been tons of stuff written on this. I'm going to give you an idea. <laughs> I'm going to give you what I think is a good reading. Of okay. course, you can make up your own mind. So this is definitely the correct answer, and there's no other way to read it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say mostly that's not true about anything in the Bible. But <laughs> <laughs> certainly in Revelation, I think it's important I hesitate to say this is the only answer, but I do think that we're presenting a good and faithful reading. We're not overblowing it. Like it's historical. It's academic. I'm not trying to pull the wool over your eyes and scare you. Nice. I know like just from anecdotal 
things. Like, I kind of know what, what you're going to say, I think, about some of them. But I don't really know what's going on with the first one. Like, all it says is, ah. um, its writer carried a bow and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. Like, that doesn't sound that bad. Unless, of course, maybe there's just we shouldn't be battling. I, yeah, I don't know. So I, I don't know what you're going to say. Yes. So, well, what happens in battles? Death. Exactly. So it's not a good thing. Um, and we can definitely tell from the tone of this passage that it's it's not a good thing that this horse is released. Um, the white horse, I would say, symbolizes the conquering kings or the conquering rulers of the earth who basically, just like the white horse, charge to and fro all over the world. They just overcome nations and demolish them, just like Rome would. They just take over, they bulldoze, they steamroll, and they don't really care who gets in their way. They just want to claim the victory. Okay. So the white horse, I would say, is like power. Like it's taking control. It's the conquest. Yeah, the <laughs> Which establishment. Which of course, you know, like, yeah, so many of our movies are based around conquest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it like, so it we have the white looks horse. pretty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, but it's not. It's, like, horrible. (laughs) I really hate watching, especially when I think of, like, World War II movies or World War I movies that are, like, realistic. I hate them so much because it's so awful to watch what happens when conquest is happening. Yeah. That was, uh, this is a super weird sidebar, but this is a Tupac quote that I like a lot. Um, People used to always, like, ask him why his music was violent or depicted violence or, or whatever and he's like well i consider myself a reporter um i'm reporting you know what i've lived and what i've seen and it's just like the reporters who were doing uh work during vietnam like if we would have just thought these young kids were going off to battle somewhere and dying gloriously like it could have gone on forever but thankfully reporters were showing the facts and this is this is actually what conquest looks like it's not pretty mm-hmm Absolutely. And that's such a, don't write me hate mail for this, but that's such a prophetic role to witness and speak what is actually happening without shying away from it or sugarcoating it is difficult. And obviously he paid the price for that. Yeah. So we have the white horse, which is conquest. Then we have a red horse whose rider is going all over the earth, taking away even the superficial appearance of peace that exists. So in verse four, it says it was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. Now, there's war and slaughter everywhere now. (laughs) But the question is, do we have a superficial appearance of peace? We have a superficial understanding that, oh, yeah, everything's fine. Like, we're in America. We're, it's no big deal. Like, we're fine. So when this horse gets unleashed, even that little bit of false peace that is in existence in the world is gone completely. Okay. Yeah. Even your fake peace is gone. Yes. Because we all know peace is not the absence of conflict. <laughs> right. Yeah. Good point. Just because there, there's just because there's no fighting does not mean you have peace. Um, and the uh, most obvious example of this is like 
in any relationship when someone, if you're like, are you okay? And the person's like, I'm fine. (laughs) Clearly, just because you're not yelling at each other does not mean that you have peace in your household. (laughs) So then we have the black horse, which of course is related to economic problems. Um, The black horse is... We have this cryptic kind of statement about a loaf of wheat bread and three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay, but don't waste the olive oil and the wine. Um, so think of the staples that a the poor or a poor person would eat. That's your bread and your loaves of barley. But for it to cost an entire day's wage for one loaf of bread, what kind of inflation is that? Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Ordinary commodities, the, the things that people exist on, those prices are being driven sky high. And the the stuff that the wealthy get, the olive oil, the wine, the rich stuff, those prices are remaining the same. So essentially, the rich people are getting richer on the backs of the poor. That's what's happening when this horse is released. Well, that's not going on today. <laughs> Absolutely not. Why would this apply at all in our situation? <laughs> And then finally, we have this pale green horse carrying death on its back. And it has a companion, which in the NLT, it's translated the grave. But literally, that's Hades. So we have death and Hades coming together on this white, on this uh, green horse. And it's the ultimate threat, right? So you have you can have war. You can have no peace. You can have no economic stability. But then underneath it all is the fear of actual death. And all of the things that cause death before you should die, before your time. And so I think Revelation is saying that these are the four basic things, the four basic ills, perhaps, (laughs) that humans are inflicting on each other. And the horses charge around the world. They're just let free. They can do whatever they want. And they have to do this so that the saving message of the scroll can actually have an effect. Because if they don't, then we're just slapping a Band-Aid on the problem. Yeah, it's funny. Like, if you think about it, it's really nice to say, you know, you don't need the bad to understand the good. Like, you know, just sitting here in my little office, I'm like, well, why does it have to be that way? Like, just save us and, like, we'll get it. We'll understand. But, like, that's just not human nature. We, we have to sort of have the valleys to understand the peaks. And it would be super nice if, you know, the universe didn't work that way. But it just it just does. You know, you, you become complacent or um, like you just you just don't appreciate the things you have without those crappy moments. And it's interesting to see that here. Here it is. It's right here in scripture. And uh, it totally plays out in real life. Right. And even beyond that, I think it's not just understanding of what good and evil is. It's you have to imagine the world is a being with a cancer in it. And so we can you can be like, well, just take the cancer away. But if it's not allowed to if the surgery doesn't get all of it, there will always be a threat that it will come back. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> there, there will always be a couple of cells that didn't come out, that weren't exposed and dealt with, that will cause a problem in the future. So if everything is not exposed and dealt with, then the cancer will come back. And that's simply not acceptable 
if God wins the ultimate victory at the end. Like there there can't be a vision of heaven where at some point down the road, we suddenly start building what we have on this earth again. Sounds like it has um, to be dealt with in advance. Sounds like Sauron from uh, Lord of the Rings. Like they, <laughs> Sauron? they def- yeah, yeah, <laughs> Sauron. They they defeat him and then he just lays dormant for forever because he wasn't totally defeated and then he's he's back. Exactly, exactly. That is the. It's one of the main points in Revelation is that it has to come out. You have to you have to actually defeat the enemy. You can't just contain it because it literally can't be contained. It will always come out and ruin your life later. And I think another point in Revelation is you think it's not ruining your life now because you have it contained. You don't have it contained and it is ruining your life now. (laughs) (laughs) Now, of course, oh, let me say this too, (laughs) just so I can make some people mad at me. I think for way too long, the world and churches in particular have been in the business of declaring that there is peace when there is not any. Um on a superficial level. We're like, this is fine. Preach. Racism doesn't exist. Sexism (laughs) doesn't exist. Certainly not here. We're the good people. (laughs) We're the good guys. Not all people do that. Don't challenge it. Don't look into it. Just trust us. Don't, Don't look under the rug. Right. And that is... One of the sins, right? That That's the second horse is destroying this superficial vision of peace, which the church itself is guilty of contributing to, which makes me really mad, except that I also am guilty of contributing to it at points in my life. So it, it's really difficult because we are unwilling to look below the surface and really see the forces of evil at work in the world. And because every time we do that, our role in it comes up. And we don't like that. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. (laughs) But here in Revelation, you don't have a choice. Like, it's coming out whether you like it or not. (laughs) So, of course, these four horses are symbols, right? I don't think on any planet that John expected his readers to, like, look out the window and see a horse charging by with death on on its back. That's ridiculous. (laughs) Um, But also the sequence is symbolic. So... I don't think you have to read these scrolls in order as though each horse follows the other horse and is somehow escalating the situation. Um, They're connected, but I I want us to stay away from like a chronological understanding of Revelation because this is where people get really bogged down in details. The seven seals are like an exposition of a sevenfold reality, seven things happening at one time. And... In the same way, and we've talked about this before, we're not supposing that like this sequence of seals in chapters up through chapter seven take place before the seven trumpets that blow in chapters eight through 11, or, and then those happen before chronologically the bowls of wrath, which is typically it's interpreted a lot this way that it chronologically happens. But if you really study it, you will see these patterns of repetition where they're essentially saying the same thing from a different angle. It's not as though they're getting worse. It's the same reality that is happening being viewed from a different lens. Hmm. So let's see here. 
we have these three sequences of seven, and that takes us all the way to chapter 20, where then the problem of evil is finally dealt with. Um, and then finally, because there is hope, <laughs> I don't want you to have to wade through the entire book of Revelation and think that there's no hope. It's just all terrible at the end. Um, after this, the new heaven and the new earth can be established. And then there is no fear after chapter 20 and 21 of that there's anything lingering, that there's any cancer cells buried or hidden or waiting to pop out. Everything will have been dealt with by that point. And so chapter six through 20 is not what we want to hear, especially after the vision of the throne room, just like the doctor <laughs> telling Tiffany, oh, you have to stay here because <laughs> this is a huge problem. We don't want to hear that, but it is what we have to hear if we're going to be healed. Yeah. So then we can move on <laughs> to the second section of this chapter, which is verses nine through 17. Just as exciting, <laughs> Revelation does not really let up. <laughs> More so seal breaking. I'll go ahead and breaking. read this part. Okay. <laughs> More seal breaking. <laughs> when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus who were to be martyred, had joined them. I watched as the lamb broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark as black cloth. The moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs, falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll, and all of the mountains and islands were moved from their places. Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person, all hid themselves in the caves and among the rock of the mountains. And they cried to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come, and who is able to survive? Creepy. <laughs> How does that make you feel? Oh, man. Um, a little bit like awestruck. Uh, and also like, um, that sounds terrible. <laughs> yes, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Now, there's plenty of people who have this opinion, I think, of God. Like they're faced with, it seems like this is a really long chess game of rescuing the world. And they're impatient with it. And they're like, God should just throw the, like, sweep the board off the table. Hmm. Like, he should just send in the tanks and sweep all the opposition aside. Just destroy everything that is against God. Wouldn't that be better than letting the awfulness continue? Right. Yeah, yeah. You would, it would seem so. So why would that not be so? Why would uh, it not be better for God to just come in and annihilate all the evil? Well... The first thing I think of is what we've been saying is that you have to get every last like cancer cell out. Um, but if that's not the answer, why wouldn't it be better? Um, my evangelical self wants to say because it's like it takes away human free will. Like it's just God imposing his. Uh, I don't know. That sounds stupid. 
It's not <laughs> stupid. That's an answer. Um, you're going like really philosophical with it. Um, yeah. I think the answer is actually really basic, and it's where is the evil located? In us. Uh huh. So if the answer is for God to come and just annihilate every evil, yeah, yeah, that means we all get annihilated. Yeah, and no, we, <laughs> I don't want no that. There is no hope. Right? Yeah, that doesn't sound good at all. I like the, the right. I like the books way better. <laughs> we we don't like the books way at all, but it's certainly like it's same. It's almost the same as the people who are like, I just want God to show up. Like I want to see God, and I'm like, well. Okay, like just even logically, let's think about this. If God were to appear, an infinite God, currently God is immaterial. Like you can't touch God or see God or smell God or anything <clears throat> like that. But if God were to show up in matter all of a sudden for you, you would be displaced. <laughs> there would be no room for you. You would be disintegrated <laughs> if God were to show up in matter. So it's the same principle here. We're like, just just, just fix it. We just want the evil to be gone. Well, then we would be gone. And then there wouldn't be hope for anyone. And God is committed. <laughs> and we'll see this in a few moments <laughs> as to when God will judge something or someone. Um, but the objection is always, how can God be good if all of this stuff is going on in the world? Like, how can God be good in this? All these things continue. God's doing nothing about it. And, and notice that this problem is actually voiced by the people who believe in God, too. They're under the altar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the only place in the New Testament where we have anything definite said about the present state and location of the Christian dead, specifically the martyrs. They're under the altar. That's what it says in God's throne room. Yeah, and that's only and the they martyrs. they know Yes, and they know that something is wrong. They're not just up there singing songs and living, like skipping blissfully down golden streets like our pictures of heaven. Now, <laughs> they, they certainly belong where they are, but they are completely conscious of the fact that the world is unjudged and unhealed and wickedness is still not dealt with. And that upsets them. <laughs> <laughs> And they say, how long, O oh Lord? How long? Don't you see what's going on? How could you let this continue? And I think that's really comforting, actually, to see that even the faithful martyrs have this thought that so many of us have all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's actually like kind of an answer, too. It doesn't just be like, ah, oh, we don't know. It's like, well, here's a robe and a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. They, just like everyone else in Revelation, are told to wait, which, <laughs> it sucks. Keep the faith. <laughs> exactly. It's not delightful. It's just another call for patience in Revelation. <laughs> now, of course, their white robe, as we've discussed, it symbolizes purity and victory. Um, but they're basically said something else. They're being told something else has to happen before God's justice will come to fruition. And what is the something else that has to happen? Um, Look in verse 11. Do, 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 do. <clears throat> it's a little longer until the full number of the brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus who were to be. Yeah, more people have to be martyred. Isn't that all horrible? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like, wait, there's not enough dead yet. Yeah, we've got more people to stone. 
Yeah. Now, I, this isn't a foreign concept. So it may be a foreign concept for us. We're like, how could God let this happen? But in Genesis, we have this image of Abraham. Um, God promises the land of Israel to Abraham. And then they have to, but God tells Abraham they have to wait four generations. And Abraham's like, why? <laughs> We're just going to, we just, you just judge the people who live there right now. Judge the Amorites. That's our land. And God is like, no, the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. In other words, God will not judge them until they are fully and thoroughly deserving of it. Yeah, until they're really, really crappy. Right. And we think that's, we're almost like, well, that's a terrible thing. Like, God should judge them right now. But again, we then run into the problem of we're included in that. Right. So we don't we don't want people to get second chances. We want God to take care of it until it comes to us. And then we're like, oh, dang, <laughs> no, don't judge me. I don't yeah. I don't want the horse of death to come and take me out. So. I don't know, it's it's a hard pill to swallow <laughs> because we want a different answer. Um, but there is no different answer. Good. And I think even even with all the evil and the sadness and the horrible things that go on in our world, there are still, we can still find glimmers of hope. And we can even see when someone does something, like say someone murders someone else, um, and then some somebody retaliates against them. Um, like this phrase I've heard in common culture before. Well, they were pretty bad, but they didn't deserve that. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, maybe they didn't like like at some point in most people, I think there is a little tiny, at least a little tiny part of us that knows what we're doing is wrong or that knows that we need something beyond ourselves or that has a little spark of hope. We are not all irreparably broken. And so God refuses to to prematurely judge people unless they have had every opportunity, millions, an infinite number of opportunities to turn back. The most patient parent ever. I know. And notice, too, all these calls for patience and revelation, It God is also being patient. Yeah. Because God wants to, God wants to fix this, too. But God's not going to prematurely doom people who don't deserve it. Thanks, God. So, <laughs> thanks? <laughs> Question mark? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then we have the sixth seal, which has like a little bit of a different side to the picture. And I think we need to be careful about the symbolism because we have like stars falling from heaven and the sun turning black and the moon becoming like red blood and on and on. Um, now, obviously there are earthquakes and eclipses and things like that happening in the ancient world, just like there are in the modern world. But in the Old Testament, this imagery is regularly employed to speak about life shattering events. So think of like, it's not an actual earthquake, but rather a really intense event like, uh, 9-11 or the Holocaust or something, something that is almost impossible to find language to describe because it's so awful. Okay. 
And that seems to be certainly how it is here as well. And I, I beg everyone to use a little bit of common sense. Like, don't try to apply logic always to Revelation or understand that it's metaphorical, but use a little bit of common sense. Like, if the sun is black and all of the mountains are removed, how are the people then hiding in the mountains in the next verse? Yeah. So if heaven and earth, yeah, if heaven and earth are actually literally disappearing, if it's the end of the universe, how are the rich and famous people hiding in caves? Like there yeah, wouldn't be any caves. The extra mountains and caves that, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Right. So like it's the same as just, you know, try to use a little common sense when we're thinking about this. Yeah. So we have, and almost like the, the sixth seal seems to be this time of like political, social, just turbulence which you will find many times in the Old Testament prophets over and over again. They recount these places where everyone is thrown into a panic, realizing that actually life is very fragile and they don't know what to do and they can't save themselves and they're entirely at the mercy of God. Because what are, what are they afraid of here? They're afraid of the creator's gaze. <laughs> they're afraid of the light, essentially. They're afraid of being seen for what they actually are, and they're afraid of the lamb's anger. The wrath of the lamb. It's funny that that they use lamb there instead of lion or whatever, but mm-hmm. been interesting. I'm so happy that you pointed that out. <laughs> Yay! Because that's a that's the last point. Is John saw John already has this vision of the lion, and he turns and sees the lamb. But now we have the very concept of anger being redefined because it's the lamb who is angry. It's the only person who has the right to be angry because the lamb is the one who embodied in his own death God's self-giving sacrificial love. Yeah, yeah. If there's ever been anyone whose face was spit in. Right, and he's not mad for his own sake. Yeah, yeah. He's angry at what has been done to humanity and to creation, but he's not angry because he's mad. He's angry because it doesn't have to be that way, and he literally went to the point of death to prove it. And still, no one's taking it seriously. The people are just basically complaining that and scared of God. They're like, who can survive God? He's just going to murder us all. He's a vengeful tyrant. <laughs> um, but God has to be angry. Like if if God wasn't angry at what's going on, then there is not a, that is not a God worth following. Yeah, then there's no plan and there's no order of like, you know, that's being subverted in the wrong way. Right. The lamb's anger is not wrath against people it's the anger it's the complete rejection i should say by love incarnate of everything that is unloving oh man so the the only people who should actually be afraid of it are those who are determined to resist love that's good that um that's a good little like I don't know. That sounds like the a phrase you would see on the poster of a movie or something. In the in the grand scheme of the universe, that's who needs to be worried. Mm-hmm. 
like mess up all you and all said, you need to like you're gonna make mistakes you're you're gonna do things that are really bad but at the end of the day don't reject the idea that there is love right and don't reject what love has done for you yeah yeah it's pretty powerful stuff nice and so we've only gotten through six seals there is one more, <laughs> but you have to wait for chapter seven for that seal. The seven seal. There will be seal. no spoilers. <laughs> is there well, some crazy symbolism that we should make up right now? The seventh seal in the seventh chapter of Revelation. Yeah. Yeah. Two sevens. <laughs> uh, after you drink a seven and seven, the seventh seal shall be broken. And then you have to pee every 10 minutes. No, every seven minutes. Every seven minutes, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you missed a golden opportunity, uh, man. Idiot. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's all, folks. That's all for chapter six. Um, well, that was crazy. Yeah, hopefully it's a little less scary and also more scary <laughs> than perhaps you thought. Yeah, it almost would be better if it was this, like, crazy cosmic battle that didn't equate to any of our actual daily lives. Because then you can just be like, oh, you know, no. one day the the, the sky is going to roll back and the sun's going to turn red and the mountains are going to disappear. And then some horses are going to come in like, all right, whatever. That sounds scary. But I, obviously I can't do anything about that. But the fact that it's actually talking about, you know, human systems and uh, all these sorts of things that we've been ignoring, that's that's much worse for us. Oh, much worse. And I think especially now it's interesting to think about the systems and the horses and in terms like this because the virus has brought to light so clearly the injustices or some of the injustices, I should say, that are apparent in our society um, where people don't have access to medical care and they don't have access to sick time and they like every everything is so fragile and what costs more? <laughs> you know, like what can the common people not get? Toilet paper and yeah. bread. Yeah. And, you know, the staples. What can we not get? But yet the people who Wine are, and olive oil is fine. Right. Right. That's funny. So I, I'm not going to make too many comparisons to what's happening now because I don't want people to like think this is the end times, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely think Revelation speaks in every century in history, but to ours, it definitely speaks as well. Yeah. Amen to that. Cool. Uh, on that note, thank you for, as always, being awesome and taking us through that chapter. And uh, thanks for listening. Uh, reach out social media diff church shoot us an email hello at diffchurch.com we'd love to hear from you and we hope you're having an awesome day and we hope it gets even better absolutely we'll see you later friends bye bye